I think your beard was hitting your microphone because it was going, it was like wobbling. Oh, was it? Sorry. Welcome to Thinking Deeply About Primary Education, the podcast that makes time and space to think about pedagogy, teaching and learning, professional development, anything of interest to time poor but enthusiasm rich primary teachers. This week, I'm joined by Christopher Such. Hello again. And Lloyd Williams Jones. Hello there. And in this episode, we're going to explore communication with parents and carers. But first, Chris, what you reading for? What are you reading for? This week, I just started reading a book and full disclosure, I'm only halfway through it. So if there is some, you know, grotty content that I've not noticed at the end of it, then don't hold me to account. But it's very unlikely. Um, I'm about to wax lyrical, actually. It's a book called Teaching EAL, Evidence-Based Strategies for the Classroom and School by uh, Robert Sharples. And... As well as it being a fascinating book on a fascinating subject with all the sort of things that I usually like in a book in that it is, it manages to be nuanced and concise. It points you to um, other reading that you can do on the subject. It's really thoughtfully put together. All of the stuff I usually like beyond that, the way it's structured as well is a lesson to anyone who has something important to communicate and cares about communicating that message well. It repeats things and summarizes things in such a clever way that it's almost like any moment where you think, well, what was what was I, what was that chapter about? Or what were the key things from that first half of the book? It's like it's ready for it. It knows where you are wanting these little bits of information, where you're wanting these summaries, and just dives in and gives it to you. Brilliantly structured really elegantly written as well i'm a i'm a really big fan and highly recommend it to anyone who wants to learn more about how to support pupils with eal it's yeah it's absolutely terrific uh what about you lloyd what are you reading for that sounds fantastic i'm gonna have to pick that up chris i think um given we've got quite a few children with eal so um particularly ukrainian children who've joined us so um that really does uh sound like something i'm going to be getting the minute after we finish recording this uh this episode but uh, my my uh, reading this week has been sort of a ahead of this episode and kind of linked again. It's come off the back as a reference off my my MPQ uh, study stuff, um, and it's um, narrowing the achievement gap, uh, parental engagement with children's learning by um, Janet Goodall. Um, now, like Janet Goodall, it, it seems to be the absolute voice of anything to do with parental engagement. I know she sits on DFE panels and. Um, writes extremely well about uh, uh and is, is extremely well referenced in a lot of the materials the literature the literature uh around um parental engagement and, and and so on and so forth and this book is it's really good it's really comprehensive I, I, like chris i've like i said I've, I've not fully finished it yet i've read a good half of it i'd say but so, what so far what i've read has been just just tremendous like and I'll, there'll be stuff i'll draw on probably uh in, in today's episode but it's i would highly highly recommend anything she's written really she i mean she's been involved in, with, with quite a few pieces of literature around this subject and around engaging parents and particularly around the disadvantage gap as well 
yeah, it's just it's just a fantastic, fantastic book. Kieran, what are you reading for? So I'm rereading a book that I had advanced sight of, you know, and whenever you sort of do that kind of thing, you get a very tight time frame to read a book and give your thoughts on it. Um, and I'm really enjoying actually being able to have the time to sort of go through it at my own pace. But it's um, it's called Test Enhanced Learning, A Practical Guide to Improving Academic Outcomes for All Students. And it's by Christian Still. Um, and Christian, obviously, quite a prolific blogger. And essentially, my summary of the book is that it, it was a fascinating exploration of the testing effect in practice. Um, and it, it really balanced research and case studies. I think it's going to give really really good food for thought for any teacher or school leader interested in learning more about this because i know christian's a big fan of testing things out in his own setting that really comes through in the book and uh, yeah so w- worth checking out him and I'm, I'm enjoying the second time around because the first time was very quick if i may a quick shout out to christian as well just more generally just uh, a really really good guy um reached out to me when i was trying to uh do the gift aid thing with the charity stuff related to my book and he and his partner uh, went through to a lot of effort to see how we could maximize uh, that stuff. And he didn't need to. It was just time off, off of his own back. And it's not like we were, you know, friends at this point. I like to think we're becoming friends now off the back of it. But yeah, just just a really good guy and someone I'd highly recommend people follow on Twitter. I think I'd echo that as well. I met him in a few research heads and he's an ever, ever so lovely chap. And um very, very knowledgeable as well, and really committed, I think, to sort of uh, improving improving things for teachers. And um, yeah, so definitely echo that sentiment. I don't know. He heckled me for most of my session when he came to see me. So and I don't know. I'm not convinced. <laughs> oh, I like him even more. <laughs> so this week, we're going to look at communication with parents and carers. Obviously, Chris Lloyd similar but different experiences i know Lloyd, you'll probably take on most of the school leader perspective chris although you were in leaders positions of school leadership i think um classroom teacher and how we communicate on that level probably the most suitable so perhaps if we start with you lloyd what do we mean by communication with parents or carers the simplest way to define this for me would be anything where a parent feels connected to the school and connected to the success of their child. And I think on its, on its most basic level, that, that is what the communication boils down to, that, that connection to the school and to their child's success. In terms of, of communication to parents, obviously this is, a, this is a, a vast topic, you know, in terms of when we say communication, it's it's massive, you know. What, what so so defining it will be important today, and and I know we'll unpack different elements of uh, of this as we, as we go along. I th- I think one perhaps one important um, distinction to draw early on would be when we talk about communication with parents and how that kind of the dialogue between and the involvement between parents and schools, we can sort of look at it through two lenses again i'm straight away going to quote goodall and and harris here they they define it as parental involvement and parental engagement and this is echoed in again in in, in some of the mpq uh, resources as well um this idea that parental involvement is around things where 
potentially you have like PTAs and class reps and you have um, parents engaging with the school on that level where they get involved and they volunteer in events and so on and so forth and they they maybe come in and offer their their support with 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 different um you know uh, fundraising elements to the to the school so that's the parental involvement side of things but then parental engagement being where anything to do with the sort of learning outcomes of the children and i think making a distinction between those two things is probably useful because then when we're talking, we can sort of separate out where those, where those two things fall. So for me, that, that kind of is, is a rough cut kind of definition of what I see communication as between, between sort of teachers and schools and, and, and parents and carers as well. And I think, like you said, um, a caveat as well, like you said at the start, parents or any other adult that is, you know, kind of to do with the child or, or connected to the child in, in, and has a, an input with their, with their, um, their schooling. Yeah, well, I think you've um, given a nice kind of like big picture definition. So I'll probably complement that with some like examples. So it's it's anything from like the most formal meeting that you might have where you sit down, where, you know, it might be you, a parent and an external specialist all the way down to the other end of the spectrum, which might be as little as a thumbs up at the door when a parent's in a rush, they're picking up their kid and they know that there's been a few issues recently with X, Y and Z. And they just give you a look and like give you a kind of a quizzical look and a thumbs up. And you're like, yeah, yeah, everything's fine. And off they go. And everything in the middle. So like I say, it could be a chat at the door. It might be a phone call home, an email. Um, it can be even like re report end of year reports, a homeschool communication book where a teacher and um, a parent or carer see that as a, a valuable ongoing thing. I, I'd say the key thing, though, when I'm thinking about uh, communication is trying to avoid getting into the mindset of it's how I talk to parents or how I get in touch with parents and trying to think of it much more as how we communicate with each other so that it isn't always necessarily. In fact, you know, a lot of the time it won't be the teacher or the school leader initiating that contact. So it's as much about opening up um, ways of having that dialogue so that parents and carers can feel like they can communicate with us as much as we can feel that we can communicate with them. But yeah, so um, you gave a nice big, um, big picture definition there. Uh, so a few little examples, I hope kind of supplements that. Yeah, I, I liked the big picture stuff because I, I definitely wasn't considering it going into this episode. I was thinking about um, sit down meetings and, you know, on, on really serious conversations about uh, about the education of, uh, of giving children. Um, but I do think, yeah, you know, well, I'm sure we'll come to it, where that big picture is always kept in mind and things are effective, a lot of the things that can go wrong don't. So I think it's, it's worth, you know, I think both of those, like you say, Chris, they complement each other. So why is communication with parents so important? If you've been in teaching a while, you've recognised that there are circumstances where we can um, succeed in ways that we want to in terms of pupils' development, even when things aren't perfect in terms of communication with parents where things aren't quite as supportive as you'd hope. It's possible, but it's so much easier and so much more effective when there is this open and functional relationship between school and parents. It's, it's like pushing on an open door compared to trying to kick down one that's locked. So it just makes our lives so much easier in what we want to achieve, um, which is obviously what is best for the pupils. I mean, on another way of thinking about this is that 
it's important because parents deserve high quality, for want of a better phrase, um, effective communication from schools. Um, I'm, I'm not a parent, but thinking about my sister's experience um, at, at the, uh, the child that she has, my niece, and the school that she goes to, you can see how valuable that communication is from a parent's point of view. Just the smallest thing can change how she feels about you know, her child's week at school. So parents deserve it as much as children do uh, when it works well. And I think there's a real value in, in pupils feeling like their worlds join up, recognising that it isn't school and home and never the twain shall meet, but actually it's a group of people working together um, who all care about um, the, the child in question. So, yeah, those have been like my three key reasons. I'm sure I've missed some. Um, but yeah, those would be my three key ones. From a perspective of, of of parents and the kind of the gaps and the differences that we have between children in our schools, I'll just I'll just take a quote here from from the Sutton Trust. They, they yeah, the Sutton Trust highlight the difference, uh, significant difference really between uh, in parental power um, of pupils from high and low socioeconomic backgrounds uh, to secure and support the educational success to their children with more affluent families able to provide more direct financial social and cultural support so i think why is it important communication is because we have a i think we have a, a duty as a school to try and close that gap and to try and work on alleviating some of that some of that gap um, and I think that starts with us from schools being able to, like Chris said, have that two-way dialogue. Um, and it's important that we, I think three things, we, we, you know, we're able to build trust in the in the parental community, to, in the school, like like Chris said, like that that trust is such an important thing um, for for uh, when we when we think about communication. Um, it you know it builds buy into the school, you know, in terms of the wider community and the knock-on effect that has with other parents who potentially uh, are thinking about sending their children to the school. So roles and, you know, uh, keeping roles healthy and things. Um, and, and also I think it just communication ultimately shifts culture. Uh, it shifts your whole school culture, um, both in and out within the parental community. So I think it, it really is a pillar of, of importance um, when we consider the relationship between uh, communities and schools. Whenever I buy on about the misinterpretation of cultural capital, it's things like that that amount to actual capital. I think there's there's a researcher called I think Diane Ray who looks at sort of uh, areas of high socioeconomic deprivation and the behaviors of parents in those situations. And I think sort of more affluent and certainly culturally affluent parents. I think, you know, my very rudimentary understanding of habitus suggests that they have this understanding that they can go and they can demand certain things because they've been in that situation before or they know that it's culturally acceptable to do so. Whereas those from um, lower income families, according to Diane Ray's research, which suggests that they don't and they don't want to put the teacher out, you know, and, and this has been sort of shown, you know, whether you're in the United States of America or the United Kingdom and, um, you know, so there's almost this responsibility of schools. If we want all pupils to have the same opportunities, it's letting parents and carers know that they have, they have access to certain things, you know, because uh, it shouldn't just be the, the bolshie and the, and the culturally affluent who, um, who dominate in that way. I think, yeah. So I think you're absolutely spot on. And that's what came to mind. Hopefully those citations uh, 
marry up but um you know there's only so much that stuff you can really understand i think how can it go wrong well i mean it, it can go wrong in a lot of ways um and i think i think where i'll start potentially is is sort of when, when we think about defining like good parental engagement and good communication with with parents I often think like there is there it can be problematic because what we consider and what te the teaching community consider to be like good in air quote uh sort of uh, behavior from parents at home and good engagement and involvement with schools potentially can be viewed through a lens a, pr a problematic lens and I'll, I'll get i'll sort of give a quote to support this so there's there's findings from um i think it's ule et al from 2015 um that uh they suggest that schools have definite ideas and expectations about how parents should support their children uh, which is adapted to middle class parents regardless of other factors such as um, times of change different socioeconomic conditions working terms migrant backgrounds language deficiencies among other factors so i think actually what we class as to be, to be effective communication and to be what we expect parents to be what, what we expect from parents sometimes that can be sometimes problematic about the you know the culture within schools and the views within schools around that um, we see that in a very set way, whereas we need, you know, potentially it could be sometimes we need to maybe think a little bit more about the diversity and cultures within our parent, parents, parental community uh, when when we are considering uh, that. So I, it's it's a bit of a sticky wicket that one. It's, it's a deep one. So I'm, I won't labour it too much, but I do think it's worth consideration when we are defining what we want from parents and what we want from sort of healthy communication and engagement with schools because um, it might not be the case that the, that the parent isn't really supportive at home they're just not very vocal or like you say the the language deficiencies or there may be other areas where that you know we need to check our lenses a little bit about why that might be the case um so i think that's that's, that's the first sort of main, main thing i i think on, on a bigger level that, that that we can we need to consider as practitioners I think sort of bringing it down to a more practical level where I've seen and sort of had experience of communication going wrong. One, one of my, one of the biggest things for me would be too much communication via email. And I say this because email as a platform, great. I'm not saying never use email. I'm not, you know, I'm not for one minute suggesting that that, that, isn't a, you know a good medium for for um, for communication but where there potentially has been things that have gone wrong for me personally in my career and i know of other teachers that this would be the case picking up the phone or even better trying to grab that parent that parent in person will often in my experience alleviate a lot of problems that can potentially build up and manifest in an email. And I think it's really worthwhile considering. And a busy teacher, I totally understand it. I've been there, I've done it myself. I totally, totally understand. Right, I'll just pick, like you, you you get an email come in, it's it's difficult, it's dealing with something, they potentially have got the wrong end of the stick, they don't have the full picture. You're tired. You want to consider how you send that email. You write an email 
after school, you've had a long day teaching, you fire something back, and you often think, I wish I'd hit the undo button there, and I wish I, I wish I'd left that in drafts and not sent that. And even better, I wish I'd actually just picked the phone up or gone tomorrow. Do you know what? I'm going to speak to them face to face. Because in my experience, nine times out of 10, by having that conversation face to face, that communication on that level, it has completely diffused the situation. It has completely taken all the sting, all of the sort of clever crafting of perhaps difficult language that can appear in, in emails that just wouldn't be said in a face to face conversation. It, it removes it. So I think that's a really, I think that's a really kind of big, big point for me. I think like, we've got to be really careful when we communicate to parents and when teachers communicate to parents about how we speak. And when, when, when we speak to parents that we're not overcomplicating how we, how we speak, that's not to say we don't speak honestly and we don't speak in a way which, which doesn't hide anything. However, we speak in a way which avoids like avoids jargon, avoids like um, acronyms and things like that. We don't want to set ourselves up in a position where we have to explain something. Oh, oh, yeah, sorry, it's that. You know, it it creates this sense. It it can appear to a parent, oh, well, you're just trying to outmaneuver me here by by giving me. You know, we want to try and pull all those barriers down when we're speaking to parents, and I think that's that our tone is really really important. Likewise, on the flip side of the coin, as a teacher, you know, you you deserve to be spoken to with respect as well so it's a two-way street you know and i think what we expect from parents as well has to be really clearly communicated to the to the to the to the staff and i think like teachers need to feel supported that they can come to a senior leader they can they feel like confident enough to, to close a conversation down if they feel that it's not that even with a with the correct tone it's not going in the way that they they'd hoped and and that's another you know way it can it can go wrong is it, it can go wrong from the other side if it, if it starts getting a bit heated and 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 diffusing that in the correct way rather than coming up against it and fighting back against it and getting het up which is very easy when you're tired teachers are tired they're busy they've worked really really hard so it's very easy at the end of a long day to become emotional about something that you feel strongly about so again it can go wrong there but it's about trusting and having the right the right culture and support in your school to be able to to step to step back from it. I love what you mentioned there about emotions because I think of all the things that go wrong and I've seen go wrong, it's tired teachers at the end of the day letting emotions get the better of them. Uh, and you know, I've I've been there. It's trying to remove the emotion that you have, trying to be kind of as neutral and as professional as you possibly can, while obviously still being kind of friendly, amiable. I think one of the things that often goes wrong is a lack of unclear expectations about how stuff is going to be communicated or um, saying you're going to do something and then not. So for example, if you think, oh, it's a great idea for me to communicate every day via the homeschool book, and I'm going to do that. Don't say you're going to do that if you actually only have the time to do that a couple of times a week. If you say you're going to do it every day, do it every day. And then if you realize you can't, as soon as you can, communicate with the parent and say, actually, this isn't working in this way. So being upfront, if something isn't working or if, and in particular about the means of communication, I think is really important. I'd say where things often go wrong, it's where information is given too late. In a lot of cases, it's, I mean, a, a good example of this might be 
where there are certain things you can like certain small issues you can nip in the bud you notice for example that you're a year six class teacher and there are a couple of kids that are just getting on each other's nerves a little bit and they used to be best friends and now they don't really seem to like each other more often than not much better to get in a little bit earlier with the parents and say or and carers and say just so you're aware there seems to be a little bit of tension between these two children at the moment i'm keeping an eye on it but uh, you, you 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 get that message across early and that can often save a, hours and hours of work that you have to do a week or so later when this is already spiraled out of control and you've got two kids that are you know at each other like really dislike each other on the playground and parents have only found out about it down the line so like being if in doubt preempting stuff being early you you'll very rarely regret getting in a bit early with some information very rarely you often regret being too late with some information so if in doubt just say it take take that opportunity i think a trap that people fall into and i've certainly fallen into at the very start of my career is only communicating with parents particularly like phone calls when it's negative stuff so if you think this is a pupil that we're going there are probably going to be nine or ten conversations on the phone that are not really positive that aren't about positive things this year find excuses to make another 10 20 30 calls on top of that that are about positive things so that you don't have parents going oh and carers going oh whenever you go to you know when they see the school number on their phone I think not being too familiar as well. I think there is an importance to a professional distance with parents um, under all circumstances. Uh, and that sounds obvious, but I've seen young teachers in particular become a bit too familiar. Like, oh, I was, you know, I was doing this or that at the weekend. You think, no, this is not what you want to be talking about with, um, with um, the parents or carers of children that you teach. However innocent it might sound to you, yeah keep that relationship the way it should be which is one of it one of professionalism and i guess the last one that jumps out to me is where stuff often goes wrong or can can spiral out of control is where parents and um carers and the school have different assumptions and a really good so an example I, i'd give of that is when you perhaps get in touch with parents and say oh okay there's been a bit of an altercation on the playground or perhaps on the way to school and one kid has pushed one child and the other child has pushed them back and they've both got in trouble for being physically aggressive and you say to the parent well I know that it was your child that retaliated but we have to you know when it comes to physical confrontation we have to you know put sanctions in place for both and quite often a parent will say no I, I'm, you're, I, if you have to do that at school, that's your business. But I want my kid to retaliate. If someone hits them, I want them to hit them back. And it's tempting under, under those circumstances to try to change that parent's mind. It's not going to happen. What you have to do is just talk about what happens at your school and why it happens and respect their difference of opinion on this one rather than going into that assuming that everything that you think as a school and everything that you have to do in terms of behavior and uh, the academic side of school you can't make assumptions that they are going to think about things the same way you do is the the short version of that
again, spot on with with everything you said there. And I think just to add on that to that last little point you said there, I think a really a really useful phrase is to say, "I understand." I understand you're feeling, I understand you feel like this. I understand that you are like this, but I'm just going to go back to our policy. I'm, I'm just going to refer you back to our policy. You know, I think I, I understand and refer back to policy is a really useful thing to keep in your mind when you are trying to diffuse a parent potentially that has is heightening and is is in, in, that, in that situation where you can see it becoming becoming difficult. To definitely, definitely agree one one hundred percent with that. And there's a few things there that I was nodding along with as as you were as you were talking. I think we're sometimes again, like you said, about things not being being done too late. Like the timings of communications, absolutely, definitely agree. I think it's like choosing what you want to communicate and in what level of detail you want to communicate it is really really important as well. How much do we need to get? How much do you need to tell a parent about it? How much does the school need to give about that information about a certain thing? And at what time, you know, I think all those things add up pick to the parents like views and, and, and kind of the perception of the school and, and, and how how uh, how the behavior is in the school. Just to build on what you've said about having that getting ahead of things. Um, Lucy, my head has a saying um, uh, money in the bank. She's always, she says this to staff all the time. She's like, if there's anything that you think we want to get ahead of positive or negative, speak to parents, get ahead of it money in the bank and it kind of comes back to this idea of like no surprises um because there they shouldn't be any surprise pa parents should never be caught off guard with something that has happened before and has has not been communicated to them I, i've been on the receiving end of that now as a parent myself and it's not nice <laughs> it really isn't very nice like when you find out something down the line you think well i wasn't wasn't told about that you know it's it's quite jarring like uh, having having experienced it firsthand now I, I totally understand it more than i did when i was a younger teacher and I, and I didn't have children i now really do understand how jarring that can be so i think particularly for things like parents evening there's nothing worse than a parent sitting down expecting that you know to be a, a, a sort of straightforward parents evening and being hit with oh yeah, actually we've had quite a lot of problems around x y and z and that not being communicated to them before before it there, there is no you know it re that that is something that can really really put uh people's noses out of joint and, and i totally understand that and i think so that money in the bank scenario get that conversation happening grab mum at the end of the day grab dad grab parents and carers at the end of the day oh i just want to yeah i just want to just let you know about um good bad and ugly you know just just it, it pays and the thing is, I know, again, at the end of a day, you're tired, you just want to wrap the day up, you want to go and do your teacher tap at 3.30 in the staff room with your cup of tea. The bottom line is, you, you might not feel, often you don't feel like having that, to have that conversation, but it's just worth it. It's worth it, because that, like I say, to use the phrase, money in the bank, it builds, and all of a sudden, you've got, it pays forward, you know, and, and you don't, you're not going to get a nasty kickback at a parents' evening, at something else uh, further down the line. So I think that's that's really really important. I think as well, who gives the message? That can go wrong. Who who is this? Who is best to communicate this? Is it is it the teacher? Is it a senior leader? Is it actually a TA? Is it um, a parent rep that needs to deliver the message of of something to school? You know, thinking about who delivers a message really do, can like impact how that message is delivered so i do think that it's only like a, a short little thing but i do think that's um uh, that's wrong and, and i think the last thing we i'll say before before we move on in terms of things going wrong is 
I've seen I've seen it when schools consult on things, and I, you know, consultation is a good thing. Um, I think you know, finding out from your parents and carers and your community what they want, or find, or from a teacher's level, finding out from your parents what you know their, their preferences are for certain things is great. However, we can over consult, and that can end up causing like it can muddy the waters too much sometimes and it can cause schools confusion and make it difficult to find a path if you're trying to please everyone so that's a really fine balance i would say from a leader's perspective probably more leader's perspective from that sense but when in terms of communicating to parents just just when you are if you are consulting on some things be that a change in uniform or anything like that just be mindful about how much that process is and how that process is balanced so i yeah i think that was sort of all the things i had for um problems don't worry they won't all make it into the final cut lloyd <laughs> be like what nothing to add lloyd oh that, that's a shame i mean parents evening's a bit of a waste of time if communication is effective in a school with the parents and carers i've been to parents evenings on both ends where i'm like well we talk all the time yeah you didn't really need to come tonight or i'm feeling like well why am I here? <laughs> There's no no surprises, are there? You know, you you'd you'd let me know if one of my kids wasn't paying attention in class or you know, that kind of thing. So um yeah, it's uh, I, th I think yeah, I, I I mean I was very lucky that as soon as I started teaching, the school I was in, it was like parents evening, no surprises. You know? And when we had books that we wrote in every day, if you know, and we tried to put something positive in, you know, and we when we were doing our hometown routine. We'd be like writing something quickly and then giving the book and then child will get their stuff and that kind of thing. But yeah, but that was drilled into me from a very young age was, um, you know, you cannot be giving parents the shock of a, of a lifetime because you know, I can only imagine what that's like. And then not a pleasant experience for the children afterwards either. What are the features or behaviors of effective communication between teachers and parents and carers? So naturally, a lot of this stuff is going to be a bit of the flip side of what we just described. I'd say the first thing generally is there are certain things that you want to make like implicit, like need to be implicit in the conversations that you have with parents um, and the, any other form of communication you have with parents. The first is that it needs to be implicit that you want the best for the student, for the child in question, and that you know that the parent and or carer does as well. You know, that that is just, um, it's easy to take that for granted. That needs to be like a, like almost like a, a background noise in everything you're doing uh, and everything you're saying. Also that you think that the child in question can succeed. It can't ever be a conversation which is not looking to a positive future where things are working well and you are working towards that together. You want to communicate the idea that you're willing to you're willing to put the effort in on your end you know that, that's a big part of it when i was thinking about this this topic for the podcast i spoke to sylvia and she said to me that she just recently read a chapter in running the room by tom bennett and it's it's a really good chapter on communicating with parents and one of the things that it reminds me of is the idea of how important it is to suggest to parents that you want their help when you want if there's something you want to um, change or something you uh, that some kind of element of behavior or effort or whatever it might be that you want support with phrasing it in the in terms of 
I want your like hand, if can we talk about this for five minutes because I think you might be able to help with this you know making it clear from that also that you know that in the final analysis the parent or carer cares more about this child than you ever will and they 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 admit their education and everything about this child means more to them than it does to you and that being implicit again in what you're saying I think is an important thing because it's I've I've overheard conversations between teachers and parents and carers where you think you're making it unintentionally sound like you're the only one who cares in this in this conversation. And even if you have fallen into the trap of perhaps thinking that's the case, you can never communicate that because it's a, a real dead end. As I said earlier, um, find an excuse to contact, um, ideally before negative stuff. I think Tom Bennett in his book he calls this. Building the bridge before you have to cross it. I think it's a really nice way of thinking about it. But yeah, getting in there with positive stuff first before you have to have a conversation that's a bit more challenging makes your life and parents' life that much more difficult. It also, as I say, it implicitly communicates that you want the best for this pupil and that you that, that you like this pupil and you think they're going places and they, you just want the parent or carer's help to get them back on track. As we mentioned earlier, trying to keep emotions out of it. Another subtle thing, tr never ever, I think, tr compare a pupil to other pupils. I've heard teachers um, comparing pupils to um, the, 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 the child's siblings. I've heard them compared to other pupils in the class. Like, oh, well, he's the only person in the class who... No, th th that frame of reference is of no use and it is... Um, yeah, it, it's not one that is going to help a parent, help you get a parent on side and help a parent be supportive. So those kind of, they're not like X, Y, and Z child has to be avoided. Of course, and I think this goes back to Lloyd's point about communication more generally, there are points where you think actually this is a conversation that now needs to involve um, a member of the senior leadership team, or it might be a conversation that is, I need, it would help with the support of the, um, send co whatever it may be sometimes recognize that actually you need other pe other people in the conversation accuracy as Lloyd mentioned no exaggeration no minimizing you don't don't try not to deal you don't want to deal in euphemisms and you don't want to deal in exaggerations you have to be precise particularly if it's an incident you just describe exactly what happened and try and pull out any of the hyperbole that might go along with that and again, oh, actually, I guess the last thing would be you want to accept that and be ready to accept that some parents will have had some pretty awful experiences in their education and that baggage will be with them. And however much you want that not to be there, that is a part of the conversation. It's like a hidden part of the conversation that you have to be ready to deal with. And rather than trying to change that opinion necessarily, to some extent, you have to accept it because if someone's had a had really terrible experiences with education, they are going to be quite sceptical, cynical about what's happening. And you have to be ready just through the example that you set and the communication that you're dealing with. You need to be ready to show that actually things have moved on, but I accept that the experiences you've had might have um, still be playing a part in the way that you think about school and about you know the idea of teachers i think just to just to add to chris's point um from a, from a teacher's perspective um being honest 
I know we've talked about honesty before, but not shying away from explaining clearly, like Chris said, where behaviour it doesn't meet the standards that are expected within the school and uh, you know in line with policy. I think by trying to soften that sometimes through a kindness, if you will, um, to try and help deliver the message sort of ends up backfiring in the long run. And it really can end up with a parent turning something around completely uh, and having a completely different perspective on something than what, what actually what's actually happening. And it goes, it goes the same as well for any, any sort of attainment reports or effort reports that are sent home. Like likewise with, with with parents evening if all of a sudden they're reading on on a report that you know they're very disruptive and so on and so forth where you you haven't really communicated that properly to them that will that will jar that will sort of damage the 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 two-way dialogue it will damage the relationship between between the parents and the teacher and the teacher i think that's really really important i, I think another thing i'll add here is send i think it's really really important particularly around communications that we consider um parents and carers of of um children with send and how and i'm going to say this from a sort of a really kind of practical perspective how we communicate change how we can how how teachers get ahead of things to try and help parents prepare children for coming in for for uh, things that are happening, um, timetables changes, discos, um, pa uh, parents' evenings, um, non-school uniform days, uh, workshop dance workshops that are happening all days. These are things that, even though yes, teachers will say before, potentially the day before, tomorrow is going to be this, and show and maybe use you know a, a visual story to explain, or um, and and potentially you know on the morning use a visual timetable to explain. Having the parents' cooperation, having that communication strong with parents of set of send children, and, and care, parents of carers of send children, they will work overtime to ensure that the child comes in, knowing, and prepped, uh, and then less likely to be to have to have, to, to trigger in any way uh, if something is is different. So I really do think communication with send is is, is another big probably a big area. Uh, to, con to, to consider I think that the last thing I'll say before before we move on is again from a teacher's perspective uh, what you log what you what you note down and what you communicate on your school systems if you think a conversation is potentially problematic log it because where things become difficult and we're potentially and sadly in some cases things end up escalating to children being um, uh, suspended and, and, and permanently suspended and things. All, all of these things add up and are looked at in terms of the chronology of the journey of the child. And uh, in, the, in the awful circumstances where leaders are sat in tribunals around children, the, these things are, are, can, be, can be really, really important. So from a teaching perspective, something you think, hmm, that was a bit weird, or that you know, it didn't sit quite right with me, it's worth noting on your system, like we use CPOMs. My concern, I know there's a whole host of different systems out there that just that allow you to log and track. 
I just think for any like newer teachers that are listening, that's a really, really useful thing that I probably wish I'd thought about more when I was earlier in my career. So knowing that and knowing also with communication, when you're communicating with a parent, like Chris said about when the conversation needs to go up to a, to a senior leader, it prior to the conversation, is this a, Ooh, I just need to go and get my phase leader here. I just need to go and grab my deputy because I, I think it would be good on two levels. One, for support for you if it's a difficult conversation. Two, if it is problematic and there is something that could, that could happen in that way, having another set of ears and eyes in terms of hearing and hearing what has been said um, and validating what has been said word on word is, is, uh, is, is something to consider and something that you perhaps won't consider when you're earlier in your career. So a little bit uh, negative for the end there, but I think all the while still, still a really important thing to consider from a teacher's perspective. I think if we wanted to summarize it, it feels like teachers who communicate effectively do so at the appropriate time, whether that's with immediacy or sufficient space to really think about what you want to say. They're accurate in what they say, and they're consistent. I think from listening to you guys, that seems to be the three key things. Like you said, if, if you're me, 21 years old, straight off the boat, haven't got a clue how to talk to anyone that's not a, also a 21-year-old, I think those are the three things to focus on. You know, and I know a lot of people will be, will be in that situation, but probably a whole lot more mature than I was when I was 21 years old. Life comes at you fast. <laughs> what are the features of effective communication between schools and parents? The emphasis on the schools. You know, there's a lot the schools can do to support, um, support teachers and to support the school itself effective with effective communication practices i think having a strategy a uh, uh, communication an effective communication strategy is useful um which could include how sort of the rationale as to how how and why you communicate with a parental body it can include how your sort of workshops and parental involvement and engagement is promoted. What I will add as a caveat, and this is again coming from losing my head when I was talking to you earlier about this, be mindful how much time and effort you put into this because <laughs> the impact, it, it, the, the evidence on certainly from an engagement perspective in terms of the learning outcomes, is really mixed around um, uh, sort of <laughs> how much impact that has. Um, so it's a tricky one because you need to balance as a school, as school leaders and as a school, you need to consider like how much time and effort this, that goes into it. But I do think having a strategy is, is a useful idea. Um, and I think it's something that we're looking at now currently. We've been sort of working on one for a couple of months. We haven't finalized it, but it's something that we're looking at, you know, how we how we, we sort of codify a little bit more. Now, with, within that, I think, you know, schools really need to consider the best forms of communication. And this is something that I know lots of people have spoken about, like letters, emails, phone calls, websites, um, sort of text messages, those things going out, face-to-face um, -face meetings. There's a whole range of ways you can communicate, uh, even down to, like Chris said, uh, hand signals. 
probably smoke signals if you want. um but, but um you know they, they all have strengths and limitations and um and, the, and are suitable for different purposes um so it's really important i think to listen to the parental community and get get their kind of feedback on you know try and survey them about what what they find the most effective way for the newsletter to come out is it via a text message actually rather than going out on the on the twitter feed it, you know finding the best way to access your parents is only going to help develop the rapport between the school and the community so i think that's, that's, that's a really really important thing and i think when schools are looking to communicate with parents avoiding kind of over complicated instructions and activities is really really key i think you know um anything that requires massive amounts of effort from parents and huge bodies of text is often not well received so in the same way we wouldn't lump children with a massive load of instruction and text in one go we kind of need to consider that when we're giving messages to adults as well um particularly from a school's perspective um so there are a couple of things i think that are useful there's there's probably plenty more than that but some of the things that stood out for me in terms of effective communication from a from a school level i think i think linked to that idea of strategy you're talking about there is the uh the usefulness of routines so i've seen schools where you know letters go home i mean obviously there's going to be an occasion like the the letter that's all about head lice or whatever it might be where it has to be there and then but there are i've also seen schools where letters go home oh it's every third thursday or it's so then there's a random one on a wednesday so if, if you're going to do something keep it parents want to know in advance generally what day of the week they need to be looking in the child's book bag for a letter or what day of the week to be expecting that you know that email that says these are the events that are going to be happening over the next week etc so yeah routine thing put uh, routinize things where you can i guess generally being trying where possible to open up access so we were talking about parents evenings earlier and I think there is value if in certain circumstances in having them face to face. But equally, if you've got um, a step parent who actually lives 75 miles away and the option is barely being able to attend at all and feeling feeling exceptionally frazzled when they do or a phone conversation or a Zoom, uh, a Zoom or Skype or whatever, then, you know, the latter might well be preferable. I guess one of the little thing you mentioned social media and I hadn't thought about this before, but actually like setting social media expectations across the school. And I mean, and often that's about setting maximums more than it is about setting minimums. Cause if you've got um, two teachers in year three and one of them's putting something on Twitter or Facebook or whatever, whatever page your, your, that class has got and they're doing, doing it 20 times a week. And the other teacher is, doing it once a week as is sort of the general school expectation that can wind parents up the wrong way or particularly if they've got siblings in the school and they it just it can be one of these things that makes parents think inadvertently that you know one class is or one teacher is like phoning it in or doesn't care in the same way when obviously you know nothing could be further from the truth so having certain kind of consistent expectations around social media stuff can be really uh, useful as well i think I'd, I'd add to that question we we with us in school we have a, a, a we we're quite structured with that in the terms of like how many posts which year groups what leaders what days 
we specify it for teachers and schools. So there's no ambiguity around it. It's like we, you know, ba ba that balances out. And it also, from from a teacher's perspective, you know, <laughs> if you're that other teacher opposite the one who's posting twenty photos, you, you're going to be like, oh. I've not posted and you know there's a pressure that's added there then to that teacher as well so I think there's there's two prongs to that almost but yeah yeah it can become a bit of an arms race if you're not careful <laughs> it can become like well I'd best do 30 things and before you know it teachers are spending hours each week on social media trying to you know keep up with the the class next door so yeah sensible expectations it's one of those things where you know a senior leadership team can step in and say actually let's consider this as a sensible maximum or a sensible and dare I say a sensible minimum if we keep it within this kind of threshold or even better the way you've done let's have a consistent routine around this so that you know you all know what you're doing parents and carers know what to expect I think that's a, a good way of going about things in terms of communicating learning content to parents which is we do have to talk to them about learning content you know whilst we don't want mixed methods to be taught at home and we don't want things to be done in like and to undo the work that teachers are doing in school we still it's part of allevi alleviating that is how we communicate as a school to parents around this sort of stuff and I think again I'll go back to Lucy to, you know in terms of we were talking around what's the best way to provide support for our, our maths from our maths and English leaders and having small short videos that can be text to parents that are no longer than several minutes long that pick out a problem and solve a little problem um we've gone down that route because we feel that kind of short bite-size approach you know most of the parental body have got phones if not all and access to, to the internet um major i would say that the vast majority have these days so it's about tapping into some of the sort of the behaviors with phones and things and trying to get them you know the, the bottom line is getting them over the threshold through the door is challenging for schools and getting people to come in and busy lifestyles and time and things it's age old isn't it and i know kieran you've done excellent work with board games clubs and getting parents to come in and play with children and things like that they're really really good strategies at the bottom of it though it's really tough getting getting the numbers up consistently on these things we know is hard so we again thinking creatively about how we engage up with our communications around say uh reading or you know the fluency and how you do that with it with it with a parent a short little snip video with a little bit of like modeling of like this is how i read with my child we feel might be a useful strategy to, to to sort of engage parents and to communicate to parents these short bite-sized messages around uh it's the bits and pieces we want to communicate most parents from my experience don't really mind if the letters emails etc that are sent home are not particularly well punctuated but there are a percentage of, or there is a percentage of parents who will look at that stuff and think, hmm, and it really can, I think, undercut with those parents their view on what you're doing in terms of their child's education. Seems like a small thing, but there are parents out there who see that and are, 
you know, and, and I think they're perhaps within their rights to think that uh, maybe things aren't the way they should be with the way with regards to how English is taught. So it's just something maybe that schools, I think, could some schools could be a bit tighter on. Yeah, maybe one to consider. I don't know. And it comes back to then how that's run past senior leaders and other members in the school before communications go out just to run that set of eyes over something to avoid a situation like like Chris has described or to potentially avoid something maybe more serious like we're not sending that out or we're not going to give that message that's not going to be what we need to do you know and having the experience of someone else to just to be a check and balance on that so that's yeah I would add that yeah there are there are two sort of public public sector bodies that can't have any typographical errors the department for education and schools you know so we you know it's just the the nature of the beast you know i think it comes back to the simplicity because if you've got multi-clause sentences you're adding opportunities for you to make mistakes whereas if you keep it straight to the point single clause single clause here's a, a topic sentence and three supplementary sentences information disseminated you know it goes against how i like to write paragraphs but i think you know it it, it avoids typographical errors and it gets the message across quite clearly so i think um, i'm totally with you on that one you know you mentioned book bags dylan's book bag i think is is a tardis because sometimes i'll ask him please bring your jumper home and he'll go home, he'll come back with two pairs of trousers. Well, where did they come from? <laughs> Why have you not had them for <laughs> they'll ask him, you know, saying so I, I can't remember exactly what the book bags was about, but I remember thinking at the time, you know, sometimes that's just a bit beyond our control if we can tell about that. But in in sort of summarizing things, choose the right vehicle, avoid overcomplication, have routines, decide when you're going to open access set social media expectations and i would add one more make sure your teachers know that they are supported in their communication with parents because no matter how intense the situation might become they need to know that you've got their back you know and that it's it's a very level-headed process this communication um, and that you're there like you said at the very start like slt are there to support the process too because less experienced teachers might worry significantly more about those kinds of things even though more experienced teachers who've been through those kinds of conversations that might be difficult and um, will be fully aware that you know things will blow over and uh it'll you know by the time the, the weekend comes you know things have calmed down a bit you know so i think that, that's the only thing i would add i think you guys have done a fantastic job of summarizing how schools should approach communication with parents and carers so i think possibly not the last time we'll come back to it but we've certainly, I think, gone a long way to outlining some core principles and approaches to communication. To all I said to do is say thank you very much for joining me. Thank you very much, Lloyd. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Chris. Thanks for having me. And everyone at home, until next time, thanks for listening.